How's everybody doing today? Yeah, good, good. It's nice outside today. Very, very nice. Well, I'm, for those who don't know me, I'm John Scott, and I will be continuing on with our series in John over the past couple months. We've been going through the book of John, uh, a passage at a time, and this morning we're going to continue on looking at one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. Now, I had planned to do something I hadn't really planned. I had thought about doing something a little bit different this morning. I thought about wearing like my University of Cincinnati jersey and having the eye black on with John three sixteen <laughs> written on it. But, uh, you know, that's probably, probably a little bit over top. But we see that the, the passage that, that we're going to look at today leads in with John three sixteen, which we often see on signs at, at games and written on eye black and different things like that. So, um, it's so quoted because in, in some ways, this is like the gospel itself summed up, summed up in a very small package. And then the book of John gives us an overview from, from beginning to end of the gospel as well. So if you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter three. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. And we'll also have it up here on the screen. So I invite you to read with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can gather here this morning. Thank you that we can look at your word, Lord God. Lord, most of all, thank you for what you have done for us, Lord, that we might have the hope of eternal life. So, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us hear the message this morning that you have for us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, in the summer of 1980-ish, the gospel touched my life in a very, very real way. That was the summer. Uh, this was right after, right after I finished kindergarten. So I guess to some of you, like, he's old, and some of you are like, he's really young right now. But anyway, um, but, but that was when I, I asked to, to move in with my, with my mom and dad, who would eventually adopt me. So that was the summer that my life kind of set out on the course that it has followed to this point. At the time, I didn't know that that was a picture of the offer that God makes to us to be adopted into his family, to be his sons and daughters. But now I realize that, that it was absolutely an illustration of, of what God does for each one of us. And more than just the word adopt and being adopted, being, being related, but in what my parents actually did. See, even though I asked to live there, five years old, I was like, hey, I want to go live 
with them and I want them to be my mom and dad. So even though I asked for that, uh, at times I was defiant, at times I was rebellious, and at times I was outright mean. You know, I did things like threaten to run away. I, you know, told, said, hey, I'm going to go find my biological mom who I never met, never knew, but I'm going to find her and I'm going to live with her because I don't like living here. So I, you know, that's kind of the, the attitude that this little five-year-old, probably all the way up till I was a freshman in high school, you know, I was in and out of that, that attitude over that time. And looking back at the situation, I'm really not even sure how I ended up staying there. You know, I was like, man, how did they put up with that kid? You know, <clears throat> and, I, and I would imagine that, that some of you can relate to that, maybe not necessarily to the adoption part, but, but maybe you were somebody like me. Maybe you're somebody who was, was hard to love, but somebody loved you kind of in spite of yourself. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you provided that love to someone who seemed to reject it at every turn, seemed to, to fight the, the very thing that you were that you were trying to give them. And some of you, especially at least from my perspective, the parents in the room, maybe you've been on both sides at different points in your life, receiving love you didn't deserve, trying to give love to someone that, that's hard to love. Um, but either way, if you've been in a situation like that or a situation similar to that, you know that it takes a special, a very special kind of love to, to continue to, to stick with a person in those types of circumstances. Uh, in fact, there are, there are very few relationships in our lives where people will, will put up with that. Very few. If you have a friend, even a good friend, a best friend, if at some point that friend kind of starts to reject everything that you're trying to do for him, eventually that re- relationship, it may not have an official ending, but it just kind of fizzles out, just kind of peters out, and it is no more. And think about how many marriages end in divorce because one or both of the spouses feels unloved. I mean, it's not, it's even a marriage bond when there's, there's kids involved or whatever, it can still end when people don't feel that love coming back and forth. And, and in certain circumstances, people might even disown a child. That's maybe a little bit harder, but it happens. It happens. People can endure one-sided relationships for varying lengths of time, but at some, at some point, as, as humans, we tend to move on. But thankfully, that's not the way that God works. And John 3.16 shows us how God related to and relates to a people who don't necessarily reciprocate his love. God made the first approach, and as chapter 1 says, to a people who didn't know him, to a people who didn't seek him, and to a people who didn't want to follow him. God didn't move on from us, didn't move on from the world, even though we didn't receive him. God did something that's very counterintuitive to our human nature. When the world was condemned to death, God gave in order to save. That's what we learn from this, from this passage, from these, from these verses, is that God gave in order to save, and really in order to save us from ourselves. Sin separated people from God throughout history, Mankind has always sought its own way. God created man in the garden. God put man in charge and said, you're going to have dominion and you're going to do all of these things. And man decided, ah, you know what? We're going to do something a little bit different. 
Even though you, you've created this place for us, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to we're going to kind of reject what you want us to do. And we're going to do our own thing. And ever since then, we've been doing our own thing. It's all it's, it's this constant struggle, even even those who who follow Christ, even those who believe the Bible, even those who try to do their very best. At times, there's that struggle. There's that tension that in a way it never it never leaves us. But rather than, than turn his back, rather than give us what we deserved, rather than, than make things fair, God gave in order to save. He gave his love. He gave his son and he gave the world a chance. So the first thing God did was he gave his love. God gave his love to a world, like I said, that didn't reciprocate. Now, the word love here is the Greek form of agapeo. And this is a form of, of willed love. It's not directed by emotions. And you can see here the definition. To esteem love indicating a direction of, of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. Looking for it. Finding it. Active, very active. It differs from phileo to love indicating feelings of warm affection. So this isn't necessarily a felt love. This, was, this wasn't God waiting until we made him feel warm and fuzzy and, and the, the nice background music played and, you know, there's the slow stare and all that stuff. We're not talking about that. God made a decision to love people that were hard to love. And on the surface, this might not seem like that big of a deal. Even my adoption story, I think people are kind of like, ah, well, you know, yeah, he was bad, but, you know, there's other kids that, that do those kind of things, and, and, and you can do it for kids, especially, you know, when, when I first met the Scots, I was 18 months old. You know, I had the, the hair on top, but not on the sides. I mean, I was, I was a pretty cute kid. You know, I, I was pretty cute. You know, how, how can you not just love him? You know, dimples in the cheeks and all that stuff. Um, however... Let's consider the larger characteristics. The, the, the verse says that God so loved the world. So let's consider two characteristics of the world that God gave his love. First, the world that God loves was a world condemned. It was a world condemned. The verse tells us that whoever believes is whoever does not believe is condemned already. That means the world is in that state of condemnation until that belief comes. So the word translated condemned means to judge, to form and express a judgment or opinion as to any person or thing more commonly unfavorable. A little side note, Matthew chapter seven, when when Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged. This is what he's talking about. You can translate that. Do not condemn unless you want to be condemned, condemned by God. That's why it says for us not to condemn, because to use a military expression, it's above our pay grade. It's above our pay grade to to condemn people and decide their final fate. So that's so the world was condemned when sin entered the world at the fall. Death came with it. Death came through Adam and and all have sinned in him. And since then, humans are born under a curse. That's why it says whoever does not believe is condemned already. There's there's no hope for us apart from God. Because apart from him, the world stands condemned. And the sentence for the crime, the sentence for sin is death. So I got a question. Again, we're, we're formed by who we are. So I am a, why well, I said I wear the University of Cincinnati jersey. 
I'm a 1997 graduate of the University of Cincinnati. So again, some that makes me young, some that makes me old anyway. Um, but I studied criminal justice there. So sports and criminal justice kind of forms my thinking. So the world was condemned. So how many of you would love someone who was on death row, even a relative, when they committed, in legal terms, a capital crime against you? Not against some other person, not against you know, some idea or something that you read in the news, but they committed a capital crime, a crime that's worthy of the death penalty against you. The person is clearly guilty. The, the crime was caught on videotape. Four, five, six people saw it, told the same story in separate rooms so, so the stories corroborate. And even the person gives a confession that they indeed did the crime. In this circumstance, a lot of us would pray. A lot of us would, would, would pray for that person, pray for the circumstances, pray for ourselves, pray for everyone who grieves. In the case of an immediate family member, a lot of us would wonder if there was something that we could have done different so that this didn't happen. Some of us would want to get to the bottom of it. This can't be true. So let's investigate and find out that, that the facts are wrong. We might still care for the person, visit him, and even want to preserve the relationship on some level. But will we love the person enough to give up everything that we had valuable in exchange for them to be set free from a crime that, that they clearly deserve the punishment that was handed out. That's what God did. That's what God did. A people that were clearly guilty, he gave of himself. So if this is the case, why don't more people choose God? Because to me, that seems pretty, that seems like a pretty outstanding uh, act of love. But why don't people choose God? Well, verse 19 gives us some insight into, into that. The second feature, the second thing about the world that God gave his love to and gave himself for was the world was perfectly content without him. The world that God gave himself up for was perfectly content without him. Apart from God, people loved the darkness. People loved to be in the darkness. And I truly believe that without God's spirit dwelling among us, that the world would just quickly devolve into violence and chaos because people aren't generally good. Left to our, to our own devices, left to our own ways, we're not going to make the, the great decision. Uh, me, me and Gwen went out to dinner last night, and I forget what the corporation was, but we're, we're pulling in to park in front of the house, and, and some corporation is, is doing away with leadership. They're going to have these collaborative teams that no one is, is in charge of because they think it's going to be a better work environment or something like that. People don't work well without leadership. Now, I'm not talking about taskmasters, but people don't work well without leadership, without someone who's at least make, willing to make the hard decision or take responsibility. You've got to, you've got to at least have that. But, and that's because inherently we're selfish. We have to learn how not to be selfish. If you have kids or if you are an older sibling, you kind of know that you've, you've kind of watched someone learn. Hopefully you've watched them learn not to be selfish. If not, you've watched them stay selfish since birth. Um, but but we, have to, we have to learn that. So I don't mean that everyone would be as evil as they could be at all times, but, but we're generally selfish. And then especially in comparison to Jesus, 
our deeds are that much more evil when, when we look at the one who, who shines the light. So, of course, we're going to want to kind of stay in the shadows. Of course, we're not going to want to be exposed. So even, even some of our good deeds may not hold up. You know, our good deeds may not hold up to the light when Jesus, the light of the Savior, is, is shown upon them. So and the last thing we want to deal with is the shame associated with having our, ourselves exposed. Nobody, nobody likes that. I mean, I don't like that. I'm not standing up here in front of you right now saying, oh, you know, my, my life's an open book. And, and it's not. It's not. We want to be unencumbered. We want to feel free. And there is a sense of freedom, even though it's a false sense of freedom, when there's no standard when, to, to measure our behavior by, when there's no authority to answer to. There's a false sense of freedom in that. Um, the Old Testament makes several references to, to, to what really happens and the, and the freedom that people take when, when there's no standard. Um, in Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, that's what we do. In the absence of authority, we do what's right in our own eyes. And, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. It just kind of is what it is. But when our nature when by nature we're selfish, when by nature we're sinful, then what's right in our own eyes is, is probably not going to be what's right. And as long as there's no one ever to, to call us on what we're doing, we're fine. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter. We do kind of whatever we want if there's no one to hold us accountable. And, and that's why people will reject the fact that Jesus came to show us the way and the truth so that we could have eternal life because there, there's an exposure that comes with that. And many reject that illumination because it exposes them for who and what they are. Apart from God's grace, we're evil. You know, we're evil apart from God's grace. So God loved the world, condemned. He loved a world that really didn't want to have anything to do with him. This is the world into which Jesus came to be the priest, prophet, the king, and the savior. This is the world to which God gave his son. And that's the second thing that God did is he gave, he gave his son. So going back to the, to the death row illustration, let's say, let's say you would be willing to take someone's punishment for them. Let's say you'd be willing to, to take their place, sit in that jail cell for them, and on death row, and eventually have that penalty enacted on you. However, I doubt there's anyone who would take someone that they love and make them do that. That you would say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have one of my kids take the place of this person who is clearly guilty of sin. But this is exactly what God did. This is exactly what God did. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He sent his beloved son into the world to be killed in order that the guilty might have their death sentence commuted. This passage tells us that, that light came into the world. Now, the Apostle John, when he's writing throughout this gospel, uses that light versus darkness uh, to, to allude to 
life defeating death. Light comes in and it, and it overcomes the darkness. This is eternal life defeating the fear, defeating the, the sentence of eternal death. In John 1, 4 through 9, uh, Jesus speaks about being the life that brings light to men. And then in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then again in John uh, chapter 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus comes to lift the darkness so that we can see clearly, so that we can see clearly in life. Jesus illuminates it so that as we travel through life, we don't stumble along the path. At least we don't have to. We have the opportunity to follow in his ways. We have the opportunity to to do his will. Uh, But unfortunately, not everyone accepts the light because the light is an offense and a stumbling block for many. Eventually, some of those who were offended killed Jesus. But what they thought was an end was really a beginning. The price, God, the price God paid to save those who are guilty was high. It was very high. If we, if we could even really put ourselves into the frame to, to understand it, 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 doesn't make, it really doesn't make any sense, especially when we consider that nobody was asking for it. Not only that, nobody wanted it. Not only that, people to this day, still run away from it. But yet he gave everything uh, in spite of the nature of the world. He gave and he gave mankind a chance. So that's the third thing he does. God gives the world a chance to be something different and to do something different, something different than our nature. Jesus didn't come into the world to say, I I got you. You know, hey, what are you doing in there? You know, simply, you know, Jesus didn't didn't come to, to catch us ran red handed so he could carry out some some harsh sentence on us. He came to save the guilty. He came to save the guilty. Our deeds are evil and have natural consequences. There's natural consequences to, to what we do. God gives us a chance to choose a path against our nature so that we don't have to suffer the ultimate consequence, which is that eternal death, that eternal separation from God. I want you to think in terms of your physical health, especially when we consider the smartphones, technology, everybody and their brothers got a blog about working out, running, being a vegan, being this, being that, eat, don't eat meat, eat only meat. Um, you know, exercise, the, the NFL or whoever it is has play 60. But anyway, all the information that we need for our health is out there if we're willing to, to, to put in the work and, and do these things. But if we eat a, a terrible diet, we don't exercise, and we don't do personal hygiene, um, you know, we're going to be some pretty terrible people. You know, we're going to be malnourished. We're going to be weak. And we're probably going to be sick all the time because we're always going to have these different infections. No matter how young or old we are, 
we, we, have, to, we have to maintain our health. Even, even the young body has to be maintained. Uh, so we have to make a decision. We have to do something with the information. We have to do something with the truth that we know because the information is out there. So believing in Jesus is a choice that we must make if we're going to preserve the eternal health of our souls, the eternal health of our spirit. If we want to to come out from under that state of condemnation, we have to actually do something with what we hear. So that's why I say God gives the world a chance, a chance to make a choice. While it's true that that light exposes evil deeds, while it's true that that light lets us see ourselves for who we are, it also points the way to freedom. There, there, there's, it may be scary to have that exposure, but, but that's where the freedom begins. Those who seek freedom come to the light. And the way to that light is belief. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Anyone who's willing to look to the sun and believe in him, look to the sun and love him, look to the son and live for him, will be saved. This passage tells us that those who believe seek out the truth. They come to the truth. They come to the light. Those who believe want others to see their deeds because they do their deeds in God. God gave in order to save. He gave the world his love. He gave the world his son, and he gave the world a chance. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but God does require each one to make his or her choice to respond to the truth that's out there to make a decision. So how do you respond? You have to take that chance. God gives the world a chance. You have to take that chance. God makes an offer to each one of us, and we just have to decide what we're going to do. We have to decide what we're going to do with that offer. So today I want to propose three ways in which we can respond to God's offer and actually take that chance. Now, a slight disclaimer. I'm not one who likes to to talk and give disclaimers, but, you know, there's a slight disclaimer in that this isn't this isn't everything and this isn't anything. Well, it is everything, but it's not anything new. It's not anything that you haven't heard before. I'm not trying to be innovative or creative or really neat or anything like that, because this book, this gospel is written for one purpose, to encourage those to believe in Jesus. So first and foremost, we have to believe in Jesus, because the purpose of this gospel that's in John chapter 20, verse 31, is that John wrote the gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. That's it. That's the whole purpose written so that you will believe and in believing you will have life. It is through believing that we receive the gift of eternal life. And it's in believing that we are reborn and become children of God. Just like we talked about two weeks ago when Jesus told Nicodemus that you have to be reborn. That is through believing. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then I, I urge you today to make that decision to follow Jesus, because that is how we respond to the truth. And God says that those who do not believe in Jesus are already condemned. Those who do not believe are condemned already. So there's no third choice. 
You either believe or you don't. You're either condemned or you're not. So believing is a starting point, but there's more to do. So we believe in Jesus. The second thing we do is love like Jesus. God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus for our sin. And again, agape is a love that's an act of service and sacrifice. And I think to a certain level that we're all capable of that. We're all capable uh, of doing that under the right circumstances. Uh, but I'm not sure that we're all capable of doing it. I will just, I guess, let me let me come off of the politically correct stuff. We're not capable uh, of doing that to a people who when we're running to people who don't care, when where when people don't want it and when people oppose us, when people are opposed to us, we in ourselves are not capable of showing that kind of love. Um, And I'll tell you, honestly, at least for me, I know that I'm not capable. I know that I'm not capable of this kind of love apart from God. I can't do it. So, you know, thankfully, thankfully, God has revealed himself to us and we have a chance to do something a little bit different. But over the past uh, seven months, God has constantly reminded me that he loves me despite the way that I act towards him, despite the way I act towards him, that, that he loves me. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know that God was ever in the army, but, you know, I think the army is great and wonderful. And if all great and wonderful things from God, somehow he created the army through, through people. Um, but like a good army leader, God has given me over, this, over the past seven months a chance to practice this kind of love each and every day. And every time I mess up, I get a chance to start over the next morning or maybe even the next hour. So I know that it's extremely challenging. To love, to love someone. Um, and on days, I know that you'll fall short. On days, you'll, you'll outright fail. But with God's help, you can continue to move forward. First, you believe, then you love, and finally, you live. The third thing we have to do is live for Jesus. This passage is about more than just praying a prayer, believing in Jesus, reading the Bible, doing all these things in order to go to heaven. It's about much, much more than that. It talks about actions. This this passage also talks about character. It talks about those coming to the light, those coming to the truth. That is people taking it a step further and actually living out in this same world that is evil, that God loved, living out a life in that world and doing what he has told us, doing what he has showed us, doing what he has done for us. The gospel is about life. And while everlasting life is a sure and certain promise, there's also a life to be lived here full of of joy and and opportunities right here on on earth in this life. Uh, And when we follow Jesus's commands, when we treat others as he treated them, and when we introduce other people to him, we are living for Jesus. We're called we're called to do that as well. Believe, love, live. This is how we accept the chance that God gave to us. This is how we accept it.
God gave himself to save us because he loves the world. He loves us even when we don't love him. And, you know, thanks be to God that his ways aren't our ways. This story would be written, if I was God, this story would be written very differently. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. Well, I guess if I was God, it would be the same. But if, if I took me into that, if I took my own personality into that, very different. And the first person I'd come after would be probably myself. Um, but his ways aren't our ways. And it's, it's hard for us to understand why God made the decision that he did, but his plan for salvation is not complicated. Whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Hard, but not complicated. In our hour of need, God gave in order to save. He gave his love, he gave his son, and he gave the world a chance. And today, again, I just ask everyone here, if you haven't made, if, if you have not made the, the choice to believe, that first choice to believe, then I would ask you to do that for the first time. And if you have made that choice, then I would ask you to continue loving like Jesus and living for Jesus. I would encourage you to do that. John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. Do we have that? Yes, no, maybe not. Okay. John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, I came into the, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. This is a gift from God. And imagine how you could approach each and every day with this truth that Jesus gave himself, that you could have the hope of eternal life. Jesus gave himself that, that what you do here is only the beginning. If that was in the front of your mind, how would that free you throughout the course of your normal day? As you still try to do everything that you do with excellence, but now you're not having to, to, to fight for uh, whether it's promotion or some type of recognition or some type of gain because that's all you're going to get. Think if that's in the front of your mind each and every day, how much your life could be different. We're truly free when we, lead, when we live each day believing in him and knowing that he laid down his life so that we can have eternal life because there's more out there. There's something else. There's something worth living for. And God has shown us how much he wants to save each and every one of us. Now we just have to decide how much we want to be saved. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you for laying your life down for the sheep, for each one of us. Lord, thank you for recording it so that we can know, so that we can know, so that we can have a hope 
so that we don't have to be slaves to fear, slaves to sin, and slaves to death. So, Father, by your Spirit, continue to shine that light on us, Lord God, that we can, that we can follow you, that we can follow where you're leading, that we can be your people and as you are our God. So, Father, thank you for each and every day that you give us an opportunity to, to live for you, Lord God, to believe, to live, and to love. In Jesus' name. Amen.